you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up or your devices to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This passage perhaps elaborates on 121. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does it mean to live is Christ? Perhaps, and some believe that this is actually Paul fleshing out what that means. This passage is one of my wife's favorite passages, if not her favorite passage in all of scripture. This passage is a good life passage for all of us. It, it shows us what Paul's heartbeat is, what his thinking processes are as he walks through this. And he begins chapter three, verse one, by saying, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. He's talking here about the fact that we rejoice in the Lord. And it seems like a stark transition and we kind of put it separate from the rest of two through 11. As we divide this out though, I wonder if this is not the perfect introduction but because what he's gonna tell us is to rejoice in the Lord and not to take glory in the flesh because the flesh is an utter failure, but then to boast only in Christ and that Christ is all that matters. And so here we have something of an accounting passage it talks about gains and losses, and it talks about how he is reckoning his own life, taking account of it. We have something in this passage of talking to us about the failure of the flesh and talking to us about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Well, this is a good passage for us. But lest we just think this is a cheerleader, a rah-rah passage that we can all get behind without getting our toes stepped on, this passage also hits at something that plagues us, the pride of the flesh, the legalistic tendencies that grow in our own heart when we think about ourselves and how we're at a Christian university or we're reading our Bible or we're taking a Bible minor or a major, we're doing these things so we begin to have this pride in ourselves to think that maybe we're better than somebody else. Even we can do this in our conservative theological positions. I can't believe they believe such and such. I'm so much better than they are. Well, when that attitude creeps in that we're better than anybody else, that there's any pride in the flesh, Paul's talking to us this morning too and saying to us, I count it all loss. It's rubbish. It's trash. It's worthless for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So this text is coming at us all. It's gonna tell us that we need to reckon with the fact that the flesh, that all of my works, that every ounce of pride I have is an utter failure. And the one thing I need to focus on in this life is the value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Reminds me of the title of our sermon series, No Jesus, No Joy, True Joy, so that you can rejoice in the Lord. It reminds me of a song that used to be sung here regularly in chapel, Christ is All I Need. It reminds me of a more modern song that we sing, Just Give Me Jesus. It reminds me that even though I use my gifts for God's glory, even though I serve Him well, even though I do all these things, that the most important thing in life is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, personally knowing the Lord Jesus. Reminds me of a phrase that was made popular by John Piper. This phrase is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When in my life, I'm not looking to other things as idols to sit in the place that only God could have, 
but I'm looking to Christ and I'm satisfied in Christ. I'm content in Christ. I find my joy in Christ. And once I find that joy in Christ, then that joy causes me to want to tell other people about my joy. It causes me to want to sing about my joy. It causes the overflow from the abundance of my heart so that I most glorify God when I am most satisfied or contented to live for Jesus Christ. When the other things creep in, the worries about today or tomorrow, the pride in the flesh, the thoughts of other idols that could bring us temporary fleeting pleasures, but not the eternal joy that Jesus brings us, we don't glorify God in those moments. So our text today, main idea, value knowing Christ above all else. This is a strong statement, but I think it's accurate to the text. Value knowing Christ above all else. It doesn't mean we don't study hard to show ourselves approved. It doesn't mean we don't work as unto the Lord, but it means we properly put everything else below the value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. So I say to you all, and I wanna say again, do you value knowing Christ above all else? And if you do, what are you doing to know Christ? Not legalistically taking pride in the fact that I read my Bible every day or I pray to Christ or I go to church or I'm at a Christian university. Not elevating the legalistic flesh that's the failure that we're gonna see. But do I really do those things just to know Jesus? Do I read my Bible in the morning because I know I'm supposed to read my Bible in the morning? Or do I read my Bible in the morning because I recognize I need to know Jesus? Do I go to church because I need to check a box off that says I go to church? Or do I go to church to surround myself with others, to spur me on so that I can know Jesus Christ? Do I live my life and go through sufferings and trials in this life in such a way that I ask the question, Lord, what are you up to in my life so I can be drawn closer to him? Or do I allow every little ounce of suffering to push me farther away from Jesus? What are you doing, Lord? I don't understand. Here's our outline. We've got two points and we'll read our text. The first point we're going to look at is the failure of the flesh. It's going to come in verses two through six. The second thing we're going to look at is the surpassing worth of the Savior. That's going to come in verses seven through 11. The failure of the flesh, the surpassing worth of the Savior. Let me read through our text here. It's going to begin with finally. Uh, that doesn't mean he's ending the letter. It just means he's moving in a transition to a different subject. Finally, my brothers, chapter three, verse one, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to the law of Pharisee, to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as lost 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes of my own from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. We look at our first point, the failure of the flesh. We see here that he says to us, look out, beware, watch out. What are we going to watch out for? We're going to watch out for those people. And he gives us three descriptions of them. Those who are the dogs. Now, recognize that the Judaizers, the ones who were going to add circumcision and other legalistic rules to the Gentiles who wanted to become saved, that he calls them the dogs. Well, the Judaizers called the Gentiles dogs. Now, this is not a dog like our dogs at my house. I have two big dogs. We have a German Shepherd and a yellow lab mix. We have Duchess and Jacket. Jacket's the yellow, so we have a yellow jacket at our house. They, they are spoiled rotten. Uh, they get everything they could possibly need. They are loved on. In fact, Jacket will just cuddle up beside you on the couch. If you come over to our house and make friends with her, she will probably lay in your lap and deposit a whole lot of yellow lab hair all over your clothes. It's not what we're talking about. Think wild dogs. Think dogs that have the mange. Think dogs that have rabies. Think dogs that are put down. These are not household pets. The Judaizers called the Gentiles dogs and Paul flips it on them and he says, no, 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 these people, they're the dogs. The ones who are evil workers. How are they evil workers? Because they kept following behind Paul and Paul would make this argument that we are saved. We were justified by faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And they would come behind and say, oh, but if you want to follow Jesus, you need to be like us. You need to be circumcised. You need to add a work to this. And the tendency that we have sometimes is to add works to that justification by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Now, none of the things that we add to it are bad things. You have to be baptized. You have to be a member of a church. You need to read your Bible every day. You need to memorize scripture. You need to meditate on scripture. You need to go on a mission trip. You need to go to a Christian university. You can add a list and list and the list goes on. But what I want to get across to you this morning is that even though all of those things may be good things, what we do when we start adding works to salvation is that we are the ones to be looked out for. We are the ones that are not following what the Bible says to us. We are saved not by our works, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So if you're here right now and you've done this list of good works and I were to ask you, why is it that one day you're gonna spend eternity with Christ? And your response to me is, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. We're gonna see that's not it. It's that by faith, I have accepted the work of Christ and that righteousness has been imputed to me. That's it. That's all I have. He continues here in the third and he says, those who mutilate the flesh. Now, those who mutilate the flesh, he's kind of playing off of things here. He's, he, he knows that they're adding circumcision to salvation and he's saying, all you're really doing is just mutilating the flesh. Watch out for legalism. 
Watch out for those who take pride in their positions and exalt themselves. Can I say to you students, as you leave Cedarville one day and go to join a local church, watch out for people who elevate themselves over Christ. Look at the humility that Paul is gonna show in this passage as we move forward and try to find people who emulate that humility, who recognize the flesh does nothing good, that my heart is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? Don't follow the personalities in the world or the society that elevate themselves. Look for somebody that will point you to Christ, will say, Christ, is all that matters will continually push you in the direction of Christ not somebody that wants to stand between you and Christ he moves on here in verse 3 he says for we are the true circumcision we are the genuine circumcision we are the circumcision so I've I've listed this as though what Paul is saying is he's saying we're the real children of Abraham so it's we're the ones who are genuinely converted we are the ones who really believe what we're supposed to believe and he gives us another list of three So on the bad side, you have the dogs, you have the evil workers, you have those who mutilate the flesh. On the good side, what are we looking at here? What are the characteristics we wanna see in our own heart? What do we wanna see in our own churches, in our own lives? We worship by the Spirit of God. We recognize that our flesh is such an utter failure that without the Spirit of the living God in me, I can do nothing good. So I worship Christ only by the power of the Spirit of the living God living within me. He says, by those who glory in Christ Jesus. Do you rob God of his glory? Do you steal the glory? Or do you rightly reflect the glory like a mirror that anytime you do something good, that reflection bounces that to where it belongs to God, to Christ. And then he says, we take no confidence in the flesh. No confidence at all in the flesh. Now, Paul's going to move here and he's going to say to us, take no confidence in the flesh. Continuing this thought, he's going to say, oh, but if you think you should have confidence in the flesh, I've got more. I've got more reason than you do for confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul's not saying here he takes confidence in these seven things that he's going to give us. He's going to give us seven different lists. There's going to be four that he gets from a pedigree, from where he was born. There's going to be three that are works that he does. We're going to walk through these to show that there is nothing good in the flesh. In these, he has the four privileges of birth. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He didn't make that choice. He was just happened to be born into a family that circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He could actually trace the blood through him, the genetics through him all the way back to Abraham. He was of the people of Israel. He wasn't somebody that had come in from the outside. No, he was a genuine person. If you've ever been to the state of Texas or lived in the state of Texas, unless you are a native Texan, you are not a Texan. So when we moved there and, and, and we lived there for a little while and showed our driver's license for the first time and it said North Carolina, the person behind the big lots counter at that point looked and said, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? You're not a Texan. Now, some of you may have pride in places where you have been born spiritually. Look at what he says. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Why was that important? I don't know exactly what all he had in mind other than he knew his tribe, the first king, Saul, perhaps Paul, previously called Saul, was thinking back to the first king being selected from the tribe of Benjamin. And so he lists that in here. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. My mom and dad, my grandpa and grandma, we were all Hebrews. So put that in your context this morning. My mom and dad were believers. My dad was a pastor. My mom and dad were missionaries overseas. My grandfather were missionaries overseas. He's going to walk this forward and he's going to tell us that's great, but that doesn't mean anything compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. 
God has no spiritual grandchildren. Then he moves to the things he actually does, the works that he did. To the law, he was a Pharisee. To zeal, or Paul, were you passionate? Hey, I persecuted the church. I risked my life to go kill people, to put them in jail. I held the coats when they stoned Stephen. Under the law, if you think just about the legalistic works of the law, he says, I was blameless. And yet all of this is an utter failure. So here's your application points from this first part of the failure of the flesh. Number one, you can have no pride in your pedigree. So if I were to stand up here to you this morning and say, I'm the son of a pastor, which is true. My grandfather was a preacher. I went to a Christian university. I have preached many sermons throughout states in this country. I've done revivals all over the place. I've gone overseas on mission trips. I'm now president of a Christian university. What does that mean? That means absolutely nothing. None of those works impress God one little bit. They are all filthy wet rags. And if I take pride in those things, then I'm exalting the flesh and that is absolutely worthless. So whatever your pedigree is this morning, whoever you think you may be, because mom and dad, that doesn't matter at all before God. Now, let me flip that. Because there are some of you in here who you didn't grow up in a Christian home. And sometimes you may look around and think, what am I doing here? You may look around and the devil may put a thought in your head. Do you really belong here? Because you didn't come knowing all these words. You didn't know what sanctification and justification and glorification and all this meant. You may not belong here. And what Paul is saying to us is he's saying all those works of the flesh mean nothing. So whether you have them, don't take pride in them. But if you don't have them, don't let the devil use that against you either. All that matters is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. You may not know the right words, but you can learn those words and learn to walk and live and know Christ. So don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do great things for God just because you weren't born into a family that has a spiritual pedigree. Start that spiritual legacy. No pride in your personal works. All right, I want you to read your Bible every day. I want you to memorize scripture. I want you to meditate on scripture, but I don't want you to take pride in the fact that you're doing this and this and this. It's not the fact that we're doing these things. It's the fact that we do these things so that we may know Christ Jesus better. So guard your heart. Know that when we say we want you to be in the word, no Bible, no breakfast, Every morning I wake up, I feel hungry. I'm in the word first. If I'm not in the word, I don't eat breakfast. It's not a prideful thing to say this is a work that we add to salvation. It's because I need to know Jesus that I want to be in his word. All right, I've got to move on to the second point. We've got to look at this. The surpassing worth of the saviors in 7 through 11. You walk through 7 through 11, you'll see Christ or you'll see a pronoun mentioned 10 different times. So Christ is the subject of this. Paul has transitioned from talking about the people to watch out for and from talking about all of his different legacy aspects, seven of them, to now talking about Christ 10 different times. There's a transition here. And at the core of this transition, he's going to talk about counting everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus personally as his Lord. So we have the surpassing worth of the Savior through these points. You're going to see language of accounting. Any accounting majors out here? A few of you, you like watching numbers, and so I see some hands. And so this is your text. Gains, losses, counting, worth, it's all here. Let's look at what it says. Compare the old life and the new life. Verse 7, look at what he says. But whatever gain I had, 
all of these things, what does he say about it? I count those as loss for the sake of Christ. Look at the old life and the new life. The things we would take pride in in the old life are now things that we would count loss in the new life. Look at what he says in verse eight. Indeed. So he's repeating it here. So repetition, remember in the word, repetition we underline because that's the point that we're trying to get across. So he says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Let's up it one. I don't just count it as lost, all of it, everything. I count it all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my, he makes it personal, my Lord, for his sake, for Christ's sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All right, so let's just look at seven and eight. On one side, I count loss. I count everything as the loss. I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. What does the word rubbish mean? Oh, this is a word picture. This is a word picture where you would probably get in trouble with your mom if you talked about what this word actually means at the dinner table. Because this word really means feces or dung or poop. I don't know that I ever thought I would say that word in chapel, but there you go. This word describes rotted food that has been left behind or humans' feces. Think about what he's saying here. All of these things, all of these works, I count them like that fruit that you left in your refrigerator over the break to come back and it had melted down to where there was only half of the fruit left and there was a whole lot of juicy stuff left behind and it was squishy and nasty. Anybody there? I count all of those good works like rancid meat. Like the time that I decided to go alligator hunting. So I had watched swamp people. So I put bag chicken out on the back porch in the Texas heat for a week and watched the bag swell up. And then when it was time to put that on the hook, you cut the top of that bag and the smell comes out and it almost makes you wanna lose everything you just had for lunch. It's absolutely disgusting. The worst smell you can possibly think of. Men's locker room, whatever it might be, right? the worst rotten food you have ever seen. All these works, all these things that we pridefully look at and say, look at me in our heart, it happens. You know it happens. I know it happens in my own heart. Look at me. Oh, I've got a Bible minor. Worthless. If you don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord, if it's not leading you to a relationship with Christ as your Lord, it's not a prideful thing. I sing praise songs. I lead praise music. Do you know Christ Jesus as your Lord? Is it leading you to know him more every day as your Lord? He says, I count it all rubbish. Now he's going to transition here. He's talked about the gains and the losses. We've got the accounting. We've got spiritual accounting 101. That class is out. You understand that we count all of the fleshly works as rubbish. They don't matter. They're losses. That's why the failure of the flesh is so real in this passage. All of that is worthless compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So all these things we do, we do not to check a box. We do it to know Jesus. We read our Bible and we pay attention to the words and we look at the words because it's not a box to check. It's to know Jesus. 
We pray, but when we pray, it's not that we recite a prayer that we've memorized over and over again and we do it without even thinking. We think and communicate to God because we wanna know more about Jesus. We memorize scripture, but not just so we can tell somebody I memorized scripture. We memorize scripture so the spirit can bring that back up in the time of temptation or in the time of depression or the time of the dark soul of the night so that we know more about Jesus. All that we do is not so we take pride in the flesh. It's so that we know more about Jesus, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Do you get that? you understand that's why we're here doing what we're doing? So how do we know Jesus? Are you, this is good. This may be stretched a little bit. I don't know. I don't think so. Big words, theological words, justification. We are saved and justified. We are declared righteous. Sanctification, we grow more like Christ. We are sanctified by becoming more like him. Glorification, after we die or when Christ comes back, our bodies are glorified so that we then live in heaven and we can't sin like we do right now. All three aspects of what we call salvation, all of the three of these things make up part of the discussion of what we call salvation. In verse nine, look what you see. It says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, no work salvation here, That comes from the law because we know the law really just points us to our failure and our need for Christ. But that which comes through faith in Christ, that's how we're saved. No other way. If somebody's told you that you believe in works or you trust in what you do or you add to it, you tip the scales in your favor, wrong, wrong, wrong. It's all about faith in Christ. The righteousness from God imputed. It's taken to us and put on our account, even though we didn't earn it, we didn't do anything to deserve it. It is imputed righteousness from Christ put by God onto our account so that Christ is the one God sees, no longer seeing us in our sinful rebellion, but Christ in his righteousness. And here he says, being found in that righteousness that comes from Christ through faith in Christ, from God that depends on faith. Now here, be careful. Don't put faith as a work and say that faith is something that I should have pride in. I pat myself on the back because I had faith and somebody else didn't have faith. So it's my faith that saved me. No, you have received a free gift. It's faith that's required by grace through faith, not of works lest you should boast. You don't even boast in your own faith. You recognize your own faith as a gift from God. See the humility that comes out of this text. There's nothing good I can do All I want in this life is to know the surpassing worth of the Savior as my Lord. Justification. He moves from that to verse 10. So what does it mean to be sanctified? How should I grow in Christ while I'm at Cedarville? That I may know him. Do you know Jesus? Did you make a decision a long time ago, but you don't know anything about him? What do you do when you want to know somebody? You spend time with them. You learn about them. You ask them questions. You read the revelation they have given to you in the word, but you don't read it as a legalistic system. You read it because you want to know the person it's revealing to us. We want to know more about God. We want to know more about Jesus. We want to know about the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings. There is no prosperity gospel in the scripture. You are not promised that life is gonna go perfectly for you. You are not promised that you're gonna get the degree that you want or get the job that you want or get the spouse that you want or any other thing you may place value in. You're promised that in this world, there will be tribulation. 
First Peter tells us, be prepared because you are going to suffer in this world and I want you to be prepared. There will be moments in your life where you will suffer, but I also want you to know that Jesus is enough and that you can know Jesus and know joy even through hard times, even through suffering. And it's in that suffering sometimes that we know Jesus even more in different and new ways. Becoming like him in his death, the humility he displayed in chapter two. For our sake, he went to the cross, humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Are we willing to humble ourselves to that point? That's sanctification. Do I want to be like Jesus? Do I want to know him? Do I want to become more like him? Do I want to share in his sufferings? Do I want to exhibit the same characteristics he exhibited as he went to the cross? That's what I'm after. I'm not after some prideful arrogance. I'm not after the things of this world. I'm after knowing Jesus more, the surpassing worth of knowing him as my Lord. I'm not glorifying myself. I'm not working on my platform. I'm not trying to be who I think I should be. I'm not trying to get stuff from me, me, me. All I'm doing is trying to know Jesus more, share with him in his sufferings, be humble like he was, serve others like he did in his death. That's sanctification. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's glorification. You will never in this life be free from the temptation to sin. You will never in this life be perfect. You will never in this life know this world as it was created and intended to be. But one day, Jesus is gonna make all things new. And that's the day we live for. What do you find value in? Examine your own heart, examine your own life. What do you find value in? The degree? Lord, if I could just have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, or if I could just have a family, if I could just get this job, Lord, if I could just live in this part of the country. Lord, if I could just have this type salary so I could have these type possessions so I could live the American dream. Lord, if I could just, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Do you value whatever that is more than you value the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? If you do, that should be a caution to you. That should be a warning to you that your heart is not in a good spot right now. What do I spend my time doing? What do I spend my effort, my resources, my money on? What am I spending all of the things that I have on more of? Am I more passionate about these things than I am knowing Christ? I'm gonna be honest with you. If, you. if you wake up in the morning and you go through a day and you have no desire to read your Bible ever, you have no desire to spend time with the Lord ever, no desire to do that, that's a caution to your heart. Because that tells me that you are not seeking the value and the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord to learn more about him. You're not recognizing the failure of your own flesh to reset your heart every morning so that you live for Jesus. And I'm not talking about legalism. You don't do it to take pride in it. But if you don't recognize the failures of this fleshly body, the deceitfulness that's in all of our heart so that I need to reset every morning and spend time with the Lord, no Bible, no breakfast, that every morning I'm up and I'm resetting my mind, I'm focused on him. Is your heart where it needs to be or is it cold? 
Would you pray that the Lord would change your affections so that your affections would value knowing Christ more than anything else, that your satisfaction would be found in God? Because it's when we're satisfied in God that we most glorify him. What is it that you value this morning? Spiritual accounting. And here's my prayer from my heart, because this is an everyday thing. It's not that you can write this down in your journal and say right now in one moment, I'm gonna value knowing Christ above all else. Okay, good, I'm done, I've checked that box. Every morning I have to wake up and say, this morning, today, I wanna value knowing Christ above everything else. And I don't mean to indicate by that that you don't study hard, that you don't work hard, that you don't do all the good things. You just do them in the right perspective. A Bible minor is a great thing. Chapel is a great thing. Listening to worship music, leading worship music, a great thing. Studying, memorizing, meditating on scripture, all great things. All done so that we will know Christ more. That's the end goal. The end goal is not the item in and of itself. It's knowing Christ more. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for you is that we will genuinely recognize the value of knowing Christ more and that the Lord will change the affections of our heart so that we pursue him in such a way that we wanna know him. And if that means we have to suffer, we're okay suffering so we'll know Jesus in a new way. And if that means I have to give something up, we're okay giving something up because we wanna know Jesus in a deeper way. Whatever it may be, we wanna know Jesus, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Is that where your heart is this morning? Dear God, I know my own life. This is hard. We so often take pride in the fleshly things that we do. God, we so often become arrogant. We so often are attracted by charismatic personalities that build a following for themselves rather than pointing us to Christ. But God, we know what your word says. Your word says that you are the ultimate goal. You are the prize. And so Lord, today in my own life and the life of all of our students, faculty and staff, would you shape our hearts so that our passion is to know you and to walk with you, that our first instinct is to go to you, whether that be in prayer or whether that be in our journaling or whatever it may be, Lord, would you allow us to develop deep affections to know you more? Lord, would you allow us to be satisfied in you, content in you so that we glorify you better on this earth? Change the affections of our heart, Lord. Direct them towards you in the right way, not in a legalistic way, but Lord, in a way that glorifies you and you alone and not ourselves. For it's in your name we pray, amen. And you are dismissed.